The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes? So, good afternoon. Welcome. This is the Eightfold Path Group. And today's topic um, will be on right effort. And just a bit of review, we are um, now moving into a different kind of uh, grouping for the Eightfold Path. And um, I'm going to review a bit the first two being the wisdom factors of, uh, let's see, (laughs) right view and right intention. (laughs) Um, And the second grouping being the ethical factors, um, like how we interface with the world, how we live our lives. Um, Those were right speech, uh, right action, and right livelihood. And now we're moving into uh, the grouping uh, that we call uh, for mental cultivation or inner development. So today's topic is uh, right effort. And um, we begin to take a look at how we take care of ourselves. So I think that's a nice way of putting it. The ethical factors are a little bit geared towards how we take care of the world and how we engage in the world. And these three, the next three, will be how we engage with ourselves and how we take care of ourselves. We look at our mental states. We look at the quality of our minds and our hearts um, so that we can... um, support our practice towards liberation. So the Eightfold Path is beautiful. It's a collection of eight practices that are meant to help support us in the path to liberation. Um, But if that seems very lofty goal for some of us, it's really, they're just great, um, uh, they're great practices to to live a, um, a more engaged, peaceful, healthy life. So Um, I find the next three factors um, very important because we often overlook how we relate to ourselves and uh, uh, we kind of take care of ourselves last in a lot of uh, ways. So I find that when that part really gets looked at more deeply and cared for deeply, then sometimes the other things become a lot easier. So um, Chris and Diane will uh, present today. So I'll hand it over to Chris. Can you hear me? Okay. So let's begin with about 15 minutes of meditation. And I'll do a little guiding, just introducing a few themes about ways to make a wise kind of effort in our meditation practice. Okay? So begin by just settling the mind, coming into the present moment, really connecting with the simplicity of being here. As much as you can, allowing thoughts about other things to recede into the background. Take a moment to really notice and connect with the state of your mind and the state of your heart in the moment. See if you can really recognize and acknowledge how you feel right now. 
Is it easy to settle? Are you pulled off somewhere? Are you tired? At ease? So just recognizing and noticing our overall mood, overall state of mind, state of heart. Let's take a moment to deliberately scan through some common areas where we hold tension. As I mention each place, see if you can move your attention deliberately but easily to that place. Just explore a little what it feels like to move your attention, how little effort is needed, how much effort. Doing very gently, bringing your attention to your forehead. Just what do you notice? If it's possible to relax it, just relax. If it's not possible to relax it, can you just be at ease with the feeling of tension there? Just let it be a sensation. Then let go of the forehead and move your attention around your eyes. Again, just the slightest intention to let go, relax, or let be. Sometimes let go is not possible. Let be is more appropriate. Letting the attention come down around the jaw the tongue, just noticing what's there, Attention come to the shoulders. Sometimes you might notice some attitude or state of mind correlated with holding up your shoulders. Just let it go if you can, or let it be. Bring your attention into your heart center, the center of your chest. 
See if you notice any tightness or contraction, any warmth, any movement, vibration. Notice a feeling of holding in or contracting. You feel open, tender, guarded. Be aware of any tendency to think it shouldn't be the way it is or that you have to change it. Just let it be. Let the attention hold it warmly. Tension down around the belly button, around the abdomen. What do you feel in that area? See if you can find a place in your body that's neutral or even slightly pleasant. Maybe your toes. Maybe your hands, palm of your hands. It can be helpful to have a very neutral place to rest your attention if there's agitation going on somewhere else. Sometimes when I'm very caught up in something, I'll ask myself, what is my toes experience of this drama? Try to give that equal time. Neutral. And direct your attention to the sensations of breathing in and breathing out wherever you feel them most clearly. whatever your usual meditation practice object is. And set, set your intention clearly to relax, but stay 
aware and alert and in contact with the breath, the sensations of the breath. Not trying to change anything, not trying to fix anything, not trying to make anything happen, not trying to make anything stop happening. just to stay connected and aware, present, clear, knowing what's happening as it's happening, knowing that you know. This balance, not adding tension, not trying too hard, not collapsing, not completely losing track of the here and now. Continuous flow of sensations of the breathing, the body. Just checking in. Where is your mind? Where is your attention? If it's very strongly pulled away, it's very easily caught up in something. Let go of the breath and Maybe zoom out and see if you can feel the emotion or the feeling or the kind of pull that's pulling you. See if you can fully acknowledge that that's what's happening right now. And look at your relationship to that. Can you let it be? 
Can you be aware of it? Allow it? Give it permission to unfold and move through. Be fully felt. Reconnecting with the breath when there's nothing very strong pulling you away. Sometimes we're just kind of dreaming along half with the breath, half spacing out, half lost in background thoughts. If it's like that for you, you might try bringing just a little more intentionality. See if you can rouse a little more interest in seeing more closely each of the separate movements in the in-breath and the out-breath. Do this not by tensing up, not by grasping at the breath, but by relaxing, opening, becoming more receptive, more opening, listening more attentively. Be there to see the automatic beginning of each little move, how it ends and changes, the next little sensation arises. that feels too tight and too busy, then just let go, relax. Notice that. Let that go. mind is very settled, you might notice that trying to stay too much with the breath is a little too much effort. You might let that go. If you're clear, 
present, awake. Notice any subtle busyness in your meditation, trying to make something happen, grabbing for the next breath. Just settle back and let go. Just be exactly what's happening right now. And the knowing of it. Hearing happens without any effort. Breathing happens. Knowing, knowing happens. So how was that for you? Any questions or comments? Interested in what people think about effort in their meditation practice? What's your experience of what's needed for you to stay connected with the present but not adding stress and strain to what you're doing? Any comments? So sometimes, um, oh, a question, okay. Comment? I just had a comment. Mm -hmm. Um, Please. What has has been um, very useful for me was um, staying with the faith and the confidence that uh, I feel for the practice Mm. that uh, makes the effort... um, it, 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 there's a determination, but there's a there's a solid determination uh, without a pushing, making mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. to make things happen. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, some of us. So the topic of of effort um, 
know what comes to your mind when you think of making effort, if that's something that you are happy to hear about in association with your inner life or something that's, oh no, one more thing, to make effort. So um, it's interesting when, when, you know, I certainly came to the practice exhausted with the idea of making effort and very enchanted with the, the effortless uh, ease of nothing to do. And that element continues to be very important for me. Um, however, it's also, it's also inspiring in a way to learn to make a skillful effort that's not exhausting. I think um, when most people think of making effort, and we're not only talking in this part of the practice about, in this part of the, the course about effort in meditation, but taking seriously our inner life, as Shin Kwan was saying, taking seriously the state of our heart and the state of our mind. There's a way that most people think of when they think of making effort that's very focused on outward circumstances. So um, one of the Buddhist teachings along this you may be familiar with is the eight winds of success and failure, pain and pleasure, gain and loss, fame and ill repute. And so often our effort is directed at you know, maintaining the positive side of all those experiences. And that's really focused on outcome. It's focused on manipulating the outside world, worrying about other people's opinions of us. And what is it about all these things that makes effort so exhausting? Um, You know, we can't control it. These things are out of our control. They're changeable. So the more effort, the more that we put our effort into the results of those kind of categories the less satisfying it is, the more frantic it is, the more exhausted we become, and then maybe your understanding of what you need to relax is then distraction and you know, going to the movies. It's nice to be rid of all that effort and just do nothing. So there's this dichotomy between collapsing and trying to make things happen a certain way. In pursuit of these kind of goals, it's easy to lose track that what really counts is how we're doing things. It's the means to the end. And of course, why do we want these things in the first place? We're looking for safety, we're looking for happiness, we're looking for security. You know, so it's something that I'm sure we've all had a taste of through this practice, that we can find really lasting happiness and safety through cultivating the inner state of our heart and our mind. Even idealistic pursuits, you know, wanting to be good, wanting to help other people, wanting to save the world. If these are pursued without attending to our own well-being and how we're going about it, they can become another source of stress. And how we do it is maybe not so skillful, right? Coming, you know, a lot of, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of irritation, bringing that to your well-intended attempts to help people. So we really need to look, you know, we've probably learned in um, looking at the Eightfold Path so far, we've looked at what happens when we engage in speech unmindfully, when we engage in activities of various kinds unmindfully. So it really is a two-way street. We've seen two aspects of it. We've seen that when we speak and act skillfully, it's easier to to have a stable inner life. Right? When you sit down to meditate after acting skillfully, it's probably easier than being loaded down with remorse. But on the other hand, what happens to your good intentions? You know, these practices we've offered on right speech and right 
action, right livelihood, you intend to do them and you forget. And you're overwhelmed with habits of other kinds of energy. So this path, it goes both ways. It, it's leading toward, it's looking at these other factors first. It's motivating you to, to really want to stop and look at your inner life and get deeper into what are the forces that are actually influencing how you behave. And then, so it goes both ways. Um, there's another set of, there's another pair besides the eight, the eight uh, wings that the Buddha talks about that's very important in his understanding of right effort. And that is skillful and wholesome versus unskillful and unwholesome. There's actually one pair of words in Pali, kusala and akusala. And they're translated in various ways, typically as either wholesome or skillful. Wholesome kind of points to the purpose of what you're doing. It's a holistic understanding of wholesome, that we're doing this for the greater good of ourselves and everyone, toward the end of suffering. So is what we're doing leading toward the end of suffering, or is it leading toward more contraction and clinging? And then I really love the, uh, the translation of skillful. That, that is... Uh, It takes it out of the realm. It's very pragmatic. It takes it out of the realm of good and bad because we all have all these qualities and the practice is to see them arising and understand them and you know, open to what, why are they there, what are, where are they coming from, what, what does it feel like to be experiencing that quality. And so it's, it's easy and it's also helpful in understanding other people. Everyone wants to be happy and it's a question of are we going about it skillfully or unskillfully. And how can we discover what is skillful and unskillful? So I also find it's helpful to think in terms of learning a skill. Any, any time in your life that you've undertaken to learn a skill, what kind of qualities were necessary to do that? You know, patience, being able to tolerate that you can't do it in the beginning, you know, some humility around learning from other people, understanding that you may not know, and then... You need to practice it over and over again. You have ups and downs and plateaus and surges of progress and backsliding and all that happens. Thinking of something like, you know, on the scale of learning a musical instrument or learning to speak another language. You know, this is an endeavor of that depth and complexity that we're taking here to really shape our day. There's a wonderful quote I love from Thoreau. I've read it before, but I'll read it again. He says, I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue and to make a few beautiful objects, but it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which we can do. To affect the quality of the day is the highest of arts. So do you really believe that? And how often do you bring that to mind? How often do you get lost in, you know, what needs to happen six months from now or in some other part of the world? And, you know, are you, can you really tune back into, can I affect the quality of this day and of this moment? 
a conscious endeavor. It's really a leap of trust often to, as, as uh, the first person who commented said, to come back to that trust that we can stop manipulating things and stop focusing on ends and focus for a while on means, on the quality of our heart, the quality of our mind, the quality of effort that we're bringing to what we're doing. It's so easy to get carried away in, I have to get all these things lined up and everything to work and then I can relax. You know, and then I can be nice to people. Then I can, you know, once this project is done, then I can afford to look inward and take a break, take a pause. I was just cooking yesterday all day at our retreat center and I was really working with this, you know, because we had, you know, the meals needed to be out and things had to be done and it was so easy to just tense up, you know, if I just tense up a little more, chop a little faster, you know, and then I'd walk to one side of the room and I'd forgotten something and I'd turn around and walk the other way and back and forth and I realized, well, if I'd really stop and pay attention to my inner state, probably save steps, certainly save tension, you know, and I really worked with that all day and it was an interesting day of practice. So, another aspect of of this translation of skillful and unskillful is that it's really permission and and a a wide-open invitation to look for yourself to what skillful means for you. You know, there's a huge... It's a way to hold the whole variety of practices. Maybe some of you are familiar, you know, if you came to Buddhism through Amazon... You know, there's a million books out there with a million techniques and a million ways to do that. And without getting caught up in who's right and who's wrong and how come they say this and they say that, it's all skillful means, right, that worked for somebody in some circumstance. And you need to look at whether it works for you and what works for you and develop your own repertoire of skillful means. And it can include, you know, body work, therapy, art, Meditation, different kinds of meditation practices at different times. So the whole range of ways of caring for yourself, ways of cultivating your inner life, you know, they can, and it, it, it helps bring the Dharma, it helps to fold these things into an understanding that what you're doing is working toward freedom. You know, you can, you can do yoga for the sake of becoming very flexible and attractive or something, or you can do yoga as a practice to get to know your body and learn to relax and become more familiar with what it feels like to move and what it feels like to be tense at different times so that you're, everything you're doing is more integrated and more pointed toward this magnificent goal of suffering less. So... Um, So our practice is to learn to discern what are wholesome states. The definition of a wholesome state is, you know, leads to more suffering, leads to less suffering. An unwholesome leads to more suffering. That may not always be apparent. You know, you may you may do something that's temporarily unpleasant in order because you know that sitting through a little bit of pain gets you you know, to a concentrated state that's better for the rest of your day. Or you may know the opposite. It's up to you to know what, what is wholesome and what is skillful. Uh, the Buddha says that uh, the main factor in developing this ability to know what is wholesome and what are skillful means is what he calls wise attention. And wise attention is seeing for yourself 
Is this more contracting? Is this more opening? What are the results of what I've done? The American philosopher William James says, Each of us literally chooses by his way of attending to things what sort of universe he shall appear to himself to inhabit. That's so amazingly true. There's a story in the suttas about when the Buddha is trying to define skillful and unskillful about ways to grab it. You want to get a snake. If you grab it by the tail, that's unskillful because it will turn around and bite you. If you grab it by the head, that's skillful because then you've got it by the head. You know, so you could take that as literally grabbing the end, grabbing the result, you know, grabbing this whole train of thing by the result and that's going to turn around and bite you. You know, or you can grab it by your intention, which is the kind of the leading in factor. You can grasp your experience without mindfulness and just get lost in it, or you can grasp it with mindfulness. So the other important point in understanding this little introduction to effort here is the need to balance your effort. We talked in the guiding, I talked about relaxed and alert. Probably the most well-known story in the suttas regarding this is this musician named Sona who was practicing and he was doing walking meditation until his with great determination and persistence until his heels split and his shins split and his you know feet were a wreck and then it occurred to him wait my parents are rich how about if I just go home and you know give this up and go back to being a rich kid <laughs> and so the Buddha magically appears to him and says well you were you were a lute player before you came here, right? If you tune the strings too tightly, how was the music? Not so good, right? If you tune the strings too loosely, how was the music? Not so good, right? You have to tune the strings just right in order to get a sound out of a stringed instrument. So trying too hard. I haven't hurt my feet in walking meditation, but I've had huge headaches from trying too hard to figure something out, to make something happen. You know, there's all sorts of chords in the neck and the head that get extremely out of tune when we're practicing unskillfully. I'm just going slack and collapsing and, oh, I don't know. You know, that, that, of course, we all do that and there's probably a good reason and a good place for it. But after a while, you know, after you've had your little rest, see if you can find some interest and some skill in tuning back up to pay attention to what's going on. So just one other story. I'm sure I'm over time here, but uh, one other story that I just want to read you that speaks to this balance of effort is uh, the first sutta in the Connected Discourses called Crossing the Flood. So um, a deva appears to the Buddha and says, How, dear sir, did you cross the flood? This is the flood of our habit energies and our you know, desires and distractions in the world. He says, By not halting, friend, and by not straining, I crossed the flood. But how is it, dear sir, that by not halting and by not straining, you crossed the flood? When I came to a standstill, friend, then I sank. But when I struggled, I got swept away. It is in this way, friend, that by not halting and by not straining, I crossed the flood. Right, so that image of struggling with experience, getting the energy awfully built up. I wanted to say also that energy and effort have an interesting relationship in this practice. You might think that it 
spends energy, but if you if you're actually practicing with wise effort, it actually increases the energy available. You're releasing a lot of tension and held up energy, it increases the energy available. But if you're practicing in a way that's agitating and overly struggling, then, you know, it's sort of can explode in all sorts of ways. You can wind up giving up and going home. You can wind up carried away with all kinds of ambition and excitement and agitation. On the other hand, if you just stop and you don't really stay with what's happening, you can have this phenomenon known as sinking mind. Where you're sitting there can be peaceful enough, but you're really not learning anything. It's like the camera's off, the light's off. You know, so that in you which is learning what's skillful and what's not skillful is not engaged. You know, so finding that balance of interest and engagement but not agitation. <laughs> what? Okay. I don't know if you were looking oh, at I know. I was looking at the schedule because I have oh. a feeling that I'm done. I did, but I lost it. <laughs> It's time for a break. So, well, a breakout, actually, not a break. Right? Oh, yes. It's the breakout group, yes. <laughs> so that was just kind of an introduction to the factors, the idea of making effort and the factors of skillful and unskillful and what they might be and the need to keep a balance, a balance of effort. And Shin Kwan is going to lead. Uh, we're just going to break, break out, out into group. groups of three. Did you have any preference? No. Groups of three? And um, I'll give you two questions that kind of come out of what Chris presented. So it's a good time to get up and find a group of three. Maybe give a little bit of room so that you're not talking in each other's. Does everybody have a group? Does it work out well, or how, how are we doing here? <laughs> we might have one group of four. It, can you just raise your hands if you don't have a group? Can we just have one group of four? Do you want to meet with us? Great. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, the same thing. Um, we'll go around the group. Please allow each person to speak. And as you're speaking, really kind of reflect and really you're more speaking for yourself rather than for the others. Uh, um, no advice giving, no cross-talking if possible. <laughs> and if it flows into a natural conversation, that's great. But um, take a little time to reflect on the questions. And also, if you're listening, just um, Practice good listening skills. So the first question is, um, where do you put your energy in your life? <laughs> so this, like I can just give an example. Earlier in my life, before I started practice, it was really primarily in having fun. <laughs> and doing as ma- having as many experiences as possible, you know, to have fun, have a good time. Um, 
for some people, I see my friends, uh, it's an acquiring status or it's an, an acquiring security or it's an acquire, you know, acquiring all the things in life that, you know, that make them feel secure. So, um, wherever you are, you know, um, be as honest as you can with yourself and share what feels appropriate for you. And we'll have about uh, 10 minutes. I'll ring the bell and give the second question. Okay? Is that clear? Where do you put your energy in your life? So great finishing up. Um, it's very lively. Um, so that question maybe just helps lead into the next question is, do you believe you can use effort to change your inner life? Inner life. Quality of your minds, hearts, where you put your energy. Do you believe you can use effort to change it? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. That's the <laughs> that was implied. <laughs> okay. So, finishing up. So... You can thank each other, and uh, you can keep your seats that way for now. Uh, we're going to have a break after this, but I just wanted to uh, um, see if there was anything that needed to be brought to the larger group, if anyone shared or heard anything that um, is particularly inspiring or needs bringing into the larger group. The second question reminded me, I, um, I ran across a book about a year ago that, that was really inspiring, and it's uh, by a psychologist who teaches now at Stanford, and it's called Mindset. And she basically was doing research that said, there's two ways of really looking at the world, and that's either you look at the world through a lens of talent, so, or you look at it through a, a lens of growth. And so when we see the, the world through the lens of talent, it's things like you musician, you're good or you're not. Right? And we forget things like the Beatles were playing something like eight hours a day for weeks and weeks and weeks in Hamburg, right? So they had all these hours and hours and hours before they, they got big. That was one of the ways they got all this practice. That's why they got so good. They didn't magically one day become this hit-making you know, thing, right? Um, in a growth mindset, we see that, that question of can we change ourselves? And, and that is... Um, and it's not monolithic. We may not hold views about anything in our, our lives, but it, the, the research that they're doing out on the psychology side says that just that switch in how we speak about things and how we think about things has amazing outputs. So that ability to, to change, because we just start thinking of, uh, and for me it was often as a recognition of, oh, I'm, I'm seeing this as talent right now. And while I have no talent to be a professional baseball player, part of it is because I'm 47. I'm like way past prime on this one. Right. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
well, that was really lovely to participate in, and it's great stuff to keep considering, uh, contemplating. Um, we're going to have a short, maybe five-minute break right now, so if you want to put your chairs back for the next part of the uh, session, and we'll ring the bell after five minutes. And if you can practice right speech during that time, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome back. So we're going to start with a really uh, short guided meditation. And I'm going to uh, build a little bit on what Chris talked about. And I'm going to introduce a practice um, during this guided meditation, maybe halfway through. And when you um, hear the practice that I'm going to suggest, I invite you to notice what is your reaction to my suggestion of doing this practice. How do you feel about it? Or what is your gut response? What are your thoughts? What is your reaction to this? And and then just to do it as best as you can, with no idea that it has to be perfect. Right? We're, um, this whole topic is about right effort. So don't strive, strive, strive to try to do it. Or you know, just be kind of... Um, Engage with it in a way that makes sense and is comfortable. Okay. So let's take an alert, upright posture. To begin, it can be helpful to take a few deep breaths. To connect with the body. How does your body experience breathing? Are there places in your body where you can soften, relax, Perhaps with each exhale, can be a little bit of deepening, softening. To begin, we'll just keep our attention on the breath. When the mind wanders, just softly, gently bring it back to the breath.
going to suggest a practice. Just notice what your internal response is to this practice. And is there a way that you can do this practice that lightens you or opens you up or softens or brings ease? And the practice is to let go. Let go of what you're thinking about. Let go of anything you're fixated on. Let go of any holding or clinging. Let go of any resistance you may have. Let go of your desire for things to be different. of your desire of things to be the same and not change. Let go of getting it right. Let go of hope. Let go of discouragement. Whatever is occurring, see if there is something that you can let go of as best you can. And for these last few moments, let's bring our attention back to the breath. Noticing the inhale and the exhale. 
notice the pressure of the seat or the cushion on your body. Notice your feet on the floor. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So letting go is a certain type of effort, certain place where we can put our energy. And it's part of the practice that we call right effort. It can be letting go of those things that are unskillful, unwholesome. And I'll add another translation, unhelpful. If we want to find more ease, more peace, more freedom, if we want things to be beneficial for ourselves, beneficial for others, and beneficial for both ourselves and others, it's helpful to let go of those things that don't support that, that get in the way. This is one of the right efforts that are in the Buddhist teachings. Traditionally, there are four right efforts. Again, I'm using this word right, not in a way that's moralistic, right versus wrong, but right as in uh, appropriate, wise, helpful. So for, it's helpful to let go of those things that are not helpful. (laughs) Another But before, perhaps, we can let go of things, we need to investigate them. We need to be aware of them. We need to be mindful of them. Because it's not helpful to let go of everything all the time, right? Otherwise, they may come back around and uh, exert themselves in some other way, make themselves known to us. So I did a guided meditation. I talked about letting go. That's in a meditation practice. But also in our daily lives, we can't just be shedding and letting go of everything, turning away from everything. We use our mindfulness to first investigate them. What does it feel like to be standing? I had this experience just recently. To be standing in the grocery store, in the bakery section, should I get pie or cake or cookies, knowing that that's not really the most helpful for me at this time. To kind of investigate, now, oh, here I am. How did I get here? (laughs) Uh, Do I need to be here? Do I really need to be getting this? Do I have guests coming over that I need to... uh, like a host, or am I just thinking that I'm going to eat these cookies to try to make myself feel better? So we can just bring some um, investigation first to some unwholesome, unhelpful, unskillful states or experiences. We can let go of them if we can, or let go maybe of any aspect of it, maybe let go of the idea that... um, it has to be a different way 
or let some way that we can soften around it. I like this word soften. For me, that's often easier than just letting go. Or um, something else we can do if we find ourselves in an unwholesome, unskillful, unhelpful state is to um, turn our attention elsewhere. We can direct our attention elsewhere. For those of us who have been um, practicing for a while, this is sometimes the direction that's given. If you have a lot of ill will coming up, if you have a lot of aversion, sometimes they say it's helpful to practice metta, loving kindness, like a substitution. Is there a way that you can turn your mind in a different direction? For me, when I was standing in the grocery store looking at this bakery section, it's, re- it's incredible, these bakery sections, right? Freshly baked, all this stuff. It's quite amazing what they have in there. I, was, I actually just turned to my mind like, oh, how did I feel the last time I ate too many sweets? <laughs> I didn't feel good. I just didn't feel good. So I just reminded myself of that. I kind of turned my mind to um, remembering that. And that was, made it a little bit easier to go to a different section and, and get uh, the grocery store and get the groceries that I really needed. Another thing that we can do, we find ourselves in a kind of unwholesome state, is to ignore it in a skillful way. I say this with the recognition that those things that we pay a lot of attention to, to can. We, our just the fact of paying attention can kind of fuel them. I'm sure we all have this experience. If we are, um, actually, this is. Um, I don't have a good. I don't actually. I, I was thinking of something, but maybe that doesn't quite apply here. But with the idea that um, if we have habits of mind, things that we think about over and over again becomes easier and easier to think about them in the future. So the idea of ignoring is maybe to put down uh, these thoughts or these ideas that we have, for not always to be in the bakery section, to not always be feeling um, envy at the Joneses, what the Joneses have or what's happening with them, to just maybe recognize, like, oh, okay, they have something that I wish that I had. But try not to recognize when that happens and to maybe not always be looking at to see what the Joneses have, to measure how great their lawn is, what kind of car they have, what their children are doing, those types of things, right? There's lots of ways we can do this. Also, um, is to prevent those uh, being in the unwholesome states to begin with. This can... Uh, it's not a new idea. This is something that we do all the time for our health. We do preventative measures. Many of us take vitamins. Maybe we um, go to the doctors for physical exams. These are just things that are preventative measures to prevent something from bad happening in the future. Maybe we take our medications, not because it makes us feel better at that moment, but just to um, prevent something bad happening in the future. The same with our cars. We take them in to get uh, the oil changed, new tires. These types of things just prevent uh, bad, unwholesome, unhelpful, unskillful things from arising. Getting back to, maybe this is a mundane experience, but it's... uh, 
fresh for me at the grocery store, I notice that if I don't take a shortcut through the, de- uh, through the bakery to get to the deli, it said if I go the long way around, it's just better for me. It's just better. It's not complicated just to go a little bit different way in the grocery store, right? Just to kind of prevent myself being in that section. But this practice isn't only about wanting to um, prevent unwholesome states or abandon unwholesome states if they were to arrive. It's also about cultivating wholesome states, wholesome um, ways of being, wholesome thoughts. Those of you who have been around this Buddhist practice for a while will know that we often do metta practice just for this very reason, that it kind of inclines the mind towards more kind of loving kindness, both towards ourselves and towards others. Here at IMC, the Sati Center uh, sponsored a compassion cultivation training, an eight-week course with this very specific thing in mind to make it easier and more likely that compassion will be your response when you see suffering, either in yourself or in others, rather than all the other types of responses that we can have. Also meditation practice, right? We've been doing some guided meditations here. Many of us have daily meditation practices. This can also help kind of cultivate a mind that isn't agitated or a mind that is uh, very disconnected from the present moment. Um, did I say that right? So it, uh, doing meditation practice helps ensure that we do have a mind that is in the present moment when we're not meditating. Right? It's the same mind. We only have one mind. Just as if you were to um, cultivate having bigger muscles, you go to the gym, you uh, lift weights, your muscles get bigger. Well, your muscles are bigger whether you're lifting weights or not. They're always bigger. Just in the same way, kind of the training that we do with our minds is available to us all the time, even when we're not meditating. So to cultivate kind of mindfulness by mindfulness practice. And then, of course, when um, we do have wholesome states and we do have helpful, skillful ways of being, one of the efforts is to maintain them, right? To not uh, allow them to quickly slip away, but to um, have an opportunity to dwell in them, to experience them. There's a number of ways we can do this. One uh, in the Buddhist practice that I kind of like is often when we do practices, not always, but often we will dedicate the merit. We have this expression, dedicate the merit. Even that little um, activity at the end is you bring to mind what are the benefits that I've just garnered, that I've just acquired, that I just experienced with this practice that we did, and how can it be um, helpful for others? So it can be really helpful to reflect on what are the wholesome, skillful, helpful things that we've been doing. And this can help maintain that sense of, um, that good sense of, of the wholesome state, the skillful state. Something else that we can do is to make it a habit 
to look at what do we appreciate in um, any situation or in people. And when Gil talked about this during the Dharma practice day, he gave uh, an analogy which I thought was kind of interesting. He said, so perhaps you see one of your good friends and your friend is wearing this really nice sweater. It just really, I don't know, makes you happy for whatever reason. Maybe it looks cozy or maybe the color goes well with their eyes or something. But their pants are awful. (laughs) You think that their pants, for whatever reason, are just not right. So when you see your friend, what are you going to do? Are you going to say... I'm sorry, those pants, what were you thinking this morning? Or are you going to say, you know what, that sweater is lovely, or it looks really cozy, or that color is great on you, or maybe you could even not say anything about what they're wearing, right? As opposed to saying, what about those pants? Or you could think the same thing about yourself, right? And you Uh, there's parts of ourselves that sometimes we don't appreciate and there's parts that we do appreciate. So in every moment, can we appreciate things? Not with the idea that we're going to completely ignore the uh, less skillful, the less helpful things. Because as I said earlier, those those things that we ignore, that we try to repress, it never really works, right? Instead, they will... um, often appear maybe in a different guise or in a different shape or with different energy associated with it later. Another thing that we can do to help maintain uh, skillful things is to continue doing whatever it is we were doing that helped us get there in the first place. Right? If we were doing compassion practices and then we discover that we have a lot of compassion, we can continue to do compassion practices. Same with loving kindness, same with meditation, same with appreciating others. We can just continue to do the practices that helped us get there, helped us to um, arrive in a state that was wholesome. And then to bring us around full circle in this idea of right effort, another way to maintain the wholesome states is to avoid the unwholesome states, to prevent them from arising. And that's something that I talked about earlier, right? So for the unskillful things, we try to prevent them from arising in the first place. Don't go to the delis, to the bakery section. The second is to, if you do find yourself in the unwholesome section, uh, <laughs> the unwholesome section of the grocery store, there are unwholesome sections. It's quite amazing, right? You can find like it's amazing what's in there. Those boxes of cookies—they have all those pretty colors and all this stuff. If you do find yourself there, you can abandon that. So, abandon is a strong word, but that can be either letting go. Um, putting your attention elsewhere, um, or not being obsessed about it, not fueling it by thinking about how bad this is and making it worse. And then with the um, skillful states, we can cultivate or arouse them by doing practices, set intentions, that's something I didn't mention earlier, as well as we can do things to maintain them. These are the four right efforts. I, um, I kind of like that there's 
this uh, list, specifically list, because it fits right in with our Dharma practice days. I'm sorry, with our this mentoring program where the Eightfold Path, and here's the four right efforts as part of the Eightfold Path. So with that as an introduction, we're going to have um, a breakout group now where we can talk about this a little bit more. So again, find groups of three, and if you'd like to um, meet with other people, then get up and walk across the room and settle into groups of three, and I'll give you the two questions. And there will be one group of four. So does everybody have a group? What, there will be one group of four. Can, you can join. Uh, great. Okay, so the first question, ding, 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 the first question, <laughs> thanks, um, is what are some ways you prevent or overcome unhelpful states? So Diana gave a number of examples, um, and if there's anybody out there that has slightly addictive behaviors towards anything, <laughs> whether it's to pastries or maybe alcohol, maybe tech, you know, what are some ways that um, you prevent um, or overcome, you know, being exposed to uh, fueling those kinds of um, unhelpful states? Good enough, and I'll ring the bell after 10 minutes. Great, so wrapping up. And then the next question is, guess what? What are some ways you maintain or arouse helpful states? What are some ways you maintain or arouse helpful states? Cultivate. Yes. What are some ways you prevent or overcome unhelpful states? And then this one is, what are some ways you maintain or arouse or cultivate helpful states? Okay. Do I need to give an example? Like Diana gave examples of using compassion practices or just inclining the mind towards more beautiful states. Um, so that's the best I can come up with now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Any questions? Okay, great. So I'll ring the bell after seven or eight minutes. So finishing up. So thank you for engaging, and I hope the questions, I feel like they're still, so I'm glad the questions stimulated inquiry, stimulated 
discussion, and um, hopefully they'll continue to do so throughout the month. So is there anything that um, anyone wants to share with the larger group? Everything was said. <laughs> oh, great. As we were discussing the things that we do that um, that are positive, that are healthful, that are wholesome, I noticed that our conversations um, were happier, that the feeling in the three of us had a different quality and that there was some laughter and there was joy. I mean, and the things that we were sharing were things like being outside in nature, cuddling with a partner, cuddling with our pet are actually meditating. And I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, just talking about not even doing the things, but talking about doing the things, you know, set up our minds for that. Thank you. That's our hope. <laughs> <laughs> or manipulation that we're doing. So, so. <laughs> Anyone else? I noticed with our conversation that um, they overlapped. So things that we might do to um, disengage from unhelpful things were also sometimes the same things we did to uh, create helpful. So almost like the more you created the helpful state, the less temptation for the unhelpful things seemed to be what up for us. Okay. Well, um, if there are no more questions, then um, hopefully you can uh, reflect on these, the things that, that were presented today, and if they're useful for you in your practice throughout the month, then then great. Um also, I guess I just wanted to stress that, um, like Diana did, it's not a way of avoiding all the things we don't like about ourselves <laughs> or others um, and not like denying and pushing them away, but knowing when it's skillful not to pick them up and poke at them and fuel them and do all the things with them, but rather as a way to try and kind of uh, um, integrate them in a, in a skillful way and know when it's best to put them down and develop or cultivate other habits of mind uh, that are much more skillful. So my guess is everybody has recognized already some that are really not helpful and some that are really helpful. So that's great. And it's even in this 10 minutes or 15 minutes, the three of us got to really recognize, you know, um, and it became clearer the things that we do uh, that support our practice and things that we do that don't. So, um, so... Hopefully you have a great month of practice. Um, I had something else in my mind that just came and flew out the window. So yes, the next, uh, Dharma, um, the next group session is March 9th, and that'll be on right concentration. Oh, right mindfulness. 
so I'm a little spacey today, so excuse me. Um, um, and there are handouts up there at the front of the room if you haven't already got them. So um, I guess just to close on one thing is it's really nice to be in this room um, and just feel the energy of all this really, I guess, um, I found thought-provoking um, discussion. And it just maybe gives us a taste of how important it is that we cultivate really beautiful inner states and how, like Chris said, there's nothing really more astounding, beautiful, phenomenal to me is than to see um, 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 <laughs> a self um, that's exploring ways to, um, I, I'm not sure I like the word purify, but it does tend to do that, to purify the mind and heart. So um, I wish you all a wonderful Months of practice, and thanks to the two teachers presenting today, Chris and Diana. Thank you.